Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We've had some words this morning. Uh, I just want to ask you, how great is your God? How great is your God this morning? Is he the God who can make the mountains fall into the sea? Is he the God who can break the heart of stone and replace it with a tender heart? Is he the God who can heal the sick who can see sight restored to the blind, can bring healing to the deaf and speech to the mute? Or is he something smaller than that? Because there's an element in which we can't make God any bigger than he is, but we can definitely make him smaller. Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at two chapters out of the book of Galatians. And we've looked at how they were suffering from people coming amongst us and preaching a gospel to them that was different than the gospel that Christ had entrusted them with. In particular, there were those attached to what was called the circumcision party. And they were going around teaching in particular the Gentile converts that they needed to be circumcised. That if they weren't circumcised, they couldn't become proper followers of Christ. In effect, what they were doing was insisting that people who wanted to become believers became Jewish before they could follow Christ. In chapter 2, Paul had ended by stating that we shouldn't be looking to the law, to the old covenant, to rules and regulations for our salvation. Because to do so would actually mean that Christ died for no reason at all. It would all have been in vain. The grace that God had bestowed on us was worthless. And so it's against that backdrop that he carries on in chapter 3. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises are made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came about 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make that promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offering should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, 
there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. It's a long chapter. I know that. And it goes through some, some quite complex arguments. But what I want you to notice here is Paul starts off with quite a damning criticism of the Galatian church. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And he goes on. He goes on to say, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you are now perfected by the flesh? He calls them foolish. He actually accuses them of having been bewitched. He feels so strongly because instead of continuing to live their lives out and grow in their Christian life by living in God's grace, they seem determined to attempt to work things out in their own strength. Now Paul knew that he could never earn God's blessing. And in fact, none of us can. Nothing we can do can ever make us worthy of the attention that God gives us. It is totally undeserved. Now that seems to be something that we have real trouble coming to terms with. Because Paul wrote about it. He wrote about it often. He wrote about it to so many different churches. It was obviously something that Paul had noticed was a major problem. To the Corinthians, he wrote this. God chose what is law and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And so that human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. To the Ephesian church, he said, it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This isn't of your own doing, it is a gift of God. It's not the result of works, so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. To the Roman church, he wrote, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Time and time again, it seems like Paul had to remind people, we cannot do this on our own. The fact is that we have received everything we need for salvation, and we have received it as a free gift. It is nothing to do with any effort of our own or any worth that we have. It's nothing other than a tremendous grace that God has bestowed on us. And that was an important message to Paul. Because it is the very heart of the gospel. And so we need to be clear that the blessings of God 
and not something we can ever earn. Instead, it's faith that makes us right with God. And the law has just enabled us to recognise our sinfulness. Paul tried to explain it in that passage that we read from Galatians 3. He says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If we want to stay right with God, then there's only one way to do that. We need to put aside the law and put our faith in Jesus. Because that is how we will grow in our relationship with God. And Paul goes on in that passage to describe the benefits of living out our life by faith. He tells us first of all, it is faith that puts us in touch with God's power. If you look in verse 5 of Galatians 3, it says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? <clears throat> the truth is simple. God is willing to work miracles in our lives if we're willing to put our faith in him. The spiritual gifts that we read about in the first letter to the Corinthian church are often referred to as the charismatic gifts. And that comes from the word that is used from them in the original texts. Charismata. It literally means gifts of grace. Undeserved gifts. Because they are undeserved gifts that God gives when we are open to the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives. They rely on us having faith. They cannot be expected as a result of observance of the law. As we live out our lives in faith and openness to God's Holy Spirit, then we should expect to see miracles, both in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Jesus told that to his disciples. He says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up servants, serpents with their hands, and if they drink deadly poison, it won't hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And you know what? If that was true for those early disciples, it is just as true for us today. We need to look in faith for opportunities to be the miracles in other people's lives as we live out the gospel. We have countless opportunities to extend the grace that God has given to us to those who don't yet know him. We can pray for them. We can befriend them. We can show them an act of kindness or generosity. We can stand with them when they're going through hard times. So faith 
puts us in touch with God's power. Faith also gives us access to our true inheritance. Paul knew that that was one of the benefits of a life of faith. And that goes far beyond being put in touch with God's power. Look at what it says in verses 8, 9 and 29. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then in verse 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to that promise. He's pointing out that before the law existed, a promise was made to Abraham. And it was based on Abraham's faith. This is what it said. You'll find it in Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonours you, I will curse. And in all your families, the earth shall be blessed. Now because of Abraham's promise, sorry, because of Abraham's faith, that promise is still effective today. And if we live the same lifestyle of faith-based righteousness, just like Abraham did, then we are like his children. And we share in the same blessing that was promised to him. God wants to bless us so that we can bless others. That is part of our heritage. But we also need to recognise that with that type of inheritance there comes a responsibility. And it's a serious one. But it's simple. Whatever blessing God puts on our lives, we have to realise it's been given to us so that we can bless other people. Moses recognised it. Moses took on that responsibility when he was leading Israel out of Egypt because he said to the Moabites who were with them, we're setting out for that place which the Lord has said I will give to you. Come with us. We'll do you good for the Lord has promised good to Israel. In effect, he was saying, God has promised to bless us. Come with us, because we will pass that blessing on to you. It is faith that gives us access to our true inheritance. That the blessings that God showers on us are given so that we can bless the world. So Paul called the Galatians foolish. He called them that because they were trying to earn something that God was just prepared to give them by faith. It's by living a life of faith that we open up the window of God's blessing on our lives and on the lives of those around us. Because it puts us in touch with God's power and it opens up our inheritance to us. 
And it's given us so that we can pass those blessings on and bless other people. That's the summary of Galatians 3. And then it comes to application. You know, when it comes to applying a passage like this, it's easy to believe that the issues are no longer relevant to the church. Because no one's teaching amongst us that in order to be a follower of Christ, that all the males should go and be circumcised. At least I hope not. I haven't heard it being said. I don't know what goes on in small groups, but that's a different issue. But we can still easily get caught up in ideas and teaching that is every bit as dangerous. That moves us from living under God's grace and blessing to attempting to work out our salvation on our own under the law. And you know, the most dangerous of these teachings are often the most subtle ones. The ones that seem to be presenting godly principles as law rather than as a natural response to a living, loving relationship with our Saviour. And so we need to be cautious of anything that motivates or encourages people to do things for the wrong motives. However godly the actions might appear. The problem with the law is not that it's ungodly. All the things in the law were godly. It's godly not to murder people. It's godly not to steal. That isn't the problem. It's about the motivation that it brings with it that we can work these things out on our own. The problem is that the law brings us to a point of condemnation and then gives us no solution. You know, prayer and fasting are excellent spiritual disciplines. But we need to exercise them in faith, doing it with a desire to draw closer to our Father. Not because of guilt or condemnation if we don't. Our witness to those around us needs to spring from a spirit-empowered lifestyle and a desire to see others enjoying the same. Not because of a feeling that we will be condemned if we don't share our faith enough with enough other people. Our worship needs to spring from a loving desire to overwhelm God and Jesus with praise and with honour for the abundance of blessings that they give us. Our meeting together needs to spring from a desire to be a blessing to each other. Not from guilt if we can't be there or the dread that someone will phone us midweek to see where we were. Are you feeling faith rise in you? Are you feeling the faith rise in you to use your gifting, whether natural or spiritual, the things that God has put in you? What is it that God has released faith to you for? What is on your heart? 
What is the natural response in you to what God has done? To pray regularly for the church and for the town? To be involved with children? To look for opportunities to teach or guide those younger in the faith? To pray for the sick? To support Tim with the football team or carry with Flourish? You know, Jesus said the harvest is white. Pray for workers. But if you know you are trapped in legalism this morning, we need to pray for you. We need to pray that God will bring a change of mindset and a change of heart to you. That will release you from that captivity. One that will set you free. One that will set you free to enjoy God's blessing. To reap the benefits. To pass that blessing on to those around you. And to leave the law behind. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 